grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens. Lo, he sends forth his voice, his mighty voice. Let us pray. O glorious God, we adore you because in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Blessings we don't even fully understand or cannot calculate the immensity of them, but we praise you and thank you that we have received them through Christ. And you've chose us in him before the world was made to be your holy people who will be made without fault in your sight. We thank you that we are your adopted children in Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us now and that you would set uh, your, your presence with us by the Holy Spirit so that we may worship you and hear your word and eat with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is number 122, God, All Nature Sings Thy Glory. Remember that our Lord Jesus Christ can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, since in every respect he was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. 
Let us then with boldness approach the throne of grace that we may receive the assurance of God's mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sin to Almighty God. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ as a minister of his gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And we rejoice together and we say, praise be to God. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, redeeming them from slavery and establishing them as his own people, he called them in response to obey him. And he gave them ten commandments, the second of which is this, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. In view in this commandment is the sin of idolatry, which took a certain form in the days of Israel, ancient Israel, and continues to take form in our modern world. While we're generally tempted, uh, not while we are not generally tempted to carve out images of wood and stone and set them before us as as somehow connected to gods that are around us in a secular society, that that would be preposterous for most of us in our society here. And yet we still attempt to conceive of God in our own ways and to define him and categorize him in ways that are of our own making. And that can be as much idolatry as just carving out a little piece of stone. We need to have our thinking about God and our understanding of God coming to us by his word, his word um, with scripture and ultimately of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God coming to us, uh, the full revelation of God. That's how we need to understand who God is, how he makes himself known to us and how we should think of him and um, conceive, or not conceive, but uh, understand him. And so we need to be checking ourselves all the time to be careful that we are not trying to fit God into our little boxes, but instead to understand that he can constantly, um, he constantly exceeds however we think he is, and we need to be willing to be corrected and um, have our understanding and belief in him improved. All of that, of course, is centered on Jesus Christ, who is God, uh, who came to be with us and continues to be at work in his church. Let us hear this, then, as God's call to obedience, and let us say together, Amen. 
Our hymn is number 463, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. Sometimes we go along in life and we pray and yet nothing seems out of the ordinary, nothing seems exceptional to be praying about. That's not now, is it? So let us bow our heads and join our prayers together to pray for this world and the church. Merciful God, our Heavenly Father, for whom and through whom and to whom are all things, we call out to you for aid in time of need and your faithfulness to set things right in this world. We cry out with thanksgiving that we are your children in Christ who have been reconciled to you. You are the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, who upholds the cosmos by the word of your power, who overcomes your enemies, and by whom everyone shall be judged. Our Father, hear our prayers and grant to us all that we ask according to your will. Blessed God, we pray for the Christian church, for our brothers and sisters around the world. Give to your church cause to rejoice at the free spread of the gospel and the calling of people to be your children. Give us your grace to rejoice when error is corrected and sinners are restored. Give to Christ's people cause to rejoice because of the signs of your grace at work in our world. The church is present to witness to Christ 
its care for those in need, and you are praised by people from every nation with their cry, Worthy is the Lamb. And even while the church endures its suffering, this worship in the community of, of Christ's people is gathered in, in carrying out its, its faithfulness to you. So we praise you for that and pray that you would continue to uphold your church in this world. We pray that pastors and elders in the church who harm others would be removed or set right and that the ministry of the church would constantly be renewed. And along with the whole church, we remember the churches in Haiti and our missionaries, the Hops and the Delphils, who cannot operate there, work there as they have been, and yet um, the ties are still present, and we know that our brothers and sisters are in Haiti in the midst of difficulties. So we pray for them and pray that our missionaries would be able to, to resume their work there. Here are our prayers for the church in this world. For all those in need, we pray, especially those in great fear and pain, those who have suffered terribly in recent tragedies, those who have lost loved ones, those who are in danger in Israel and Palestine and in Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Afghanistan, Ukraine, North Korea, and Mexico. And we pray that the injustice, the war, and the killing would come to an end and that these people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be converted. Here are our prayers for the hot spots in this world. We bless you for preserving us without ever closing your eye in sleep and ask that you would uphold your moral order in our nation. Do not let women and their gender be abused. We pray for Joe Biden, our president, our senators, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow and our representatives and all of Congress, the courts, for our governor, the state legislature, may we have good thinking instead of bad thinking, internal peace, renunciation of anti-Semitism, economic stability, and good policies for our nation. Hear our prayers. Most wonderful Savior, we pray for our Christian family here at Providence who need your aid and healing grace. We pray for the ill, for those who are fatigued, those who are struggling, for Frida and Jeff and Linda, for Eduardo and Shirley, for Bob and Fawn, for Tammy's family, and for our friends Becky and Angie, Candace's mother, Tom, Phil, Bob, Jane, Susan, Hope, Karen, and others we name to you in silence. Prepare us by your grace for our life in this world and for our impending death. For the women of the church who give of themselves to others in service to Christ, hear our prayers for them. For our students, we pray that their habits would be shaped toward your goodness and to what is right and not to the disorder and immorality of this world. Hear our prayers for our students. Give us more insight into how we might minister to one another and to those who are outside the church. 
Now to you we commit our troubles and concerns with joy and faith, because you, O Lord, are the true God who has come to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray with him as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now let's pray for the reading and preaching of God's word. Father in heaven, you have condescended to us in giving, sending your word to us. And now we pray that by the power of your spirit, your word would be effective to enable us to put on the new life of Christ that we have as a gift. Pray that you'd enable us to um, live this life in faith and in hope and in love. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our reading begins in Deuteronomy. 
verse 30 of uh, chapter 31. Hear now God's word. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, and my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his word is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus replay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spread out, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign gods, no foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock. Curds, from the herd, and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Our Psalter response is in the bulletin. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, and 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. We turn next to our epistle reading in Philippians. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And now for a gospel reading in John chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
There are truly extraordinary things that happen in this world, and I'm talking about great, wonderful, extraordinary things. <clears throat> the great events and moments that we experience in life, such as witnessing the birth of a child. And although it's become mechanically clinical with doctors and nurses methodically moving through the routine, they've done it uh, you know, hundreds of times, um, they know the paces and we're gra- glad for that because they know what they're doing. The machines are beeping and the staff are covered in sterile green garments with masks over their mouth and nose. Still, it is a time of awe. The straining and pushing of the mother, after a while a purplish, bloody baby with wrinkled skin appears and you hear it's crying. A child has come into this world. And those who respond to this event, especially for parents where this is maybe the first or second, third time they've seen it, it's a, it, they're speechless. They, their emotions are mixed. They're filled with tears of joy and happiness. Um, it's a moment of awe for them. Some time ago in the, on the media, in the media, I saw a report about a raging flood in the hill country of Texas around Austin. I, kinda, I still remember this. It was some time ago. Downpours of rain had filled the dry creek beds and meandering rivers were where lots of water was racing through the valleys and low-lying areas, and everything looked soaked. It, just, it was just wet. Everything was soaked. And the reason for the report was that in the middle of one of the swollen, raging rivers was a woman clinging to the top, of a, top part of a tree. It was clear that she was, going to be, she was about to be washed away. Above her in the sky was a helicopter trying to lower a man down to take hold of her. The helicopter swayed back and forth in the wind. The man kept swinging away from her. But finally, he was close enough to reach out and grab her, and she was hoisted up into the helicopter and rescued. Now, the cameras tried to peer into the helicopter. They're shooting from some safe spot on the ground, trying to get the the directional view. And they tried to capture the woman, just get a peek of the woman in the helicopter. And later, one of the reporters wanted an on-the-spot interview, like the helicopter set down and the woman is wrapped in a blanket and the reporter's right there trying to get an interview. But the woman couldn't speak. She, was, she had used up all her strength just to cling to the tree. She had a look of immense relief and shock all at once. Relief and shock all at once. What do you say when you've almost been swept away but then are rescued at the last moment? That, too, is a moment of awe. There are moments in this world when we are filled with awe, but there's one event that stands out from all the rest, and that is Christ giving himself for our salvation according to the will of God. And our text uh, has that great hymn in it. It was the subject for the, the text for the sermon last week, but I'll remind you of it, read it for you. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's awesome when we stop and think about it, and hopefully the sermon last week made you do that as we looked at the beginning and middle and end of it and what it was talking about. There's, there, it's, it's some, when we hear this and truly understand what it's saying, it's this awesome event. 
The eternal and almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, has intervened in this world for our salvation. The God who laid the foundation of the earth and measured it out, who has set the way of the sun, leads forth Pleiades and Orion, as the Psalms talk about, as the prophets talk about, has come down for us. The one of whom the Psalms speak, the mighty one, who speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting, before whom is a devouring fire and round about him a mighty tempest, who casts down the wicked man and rewards the righteous, who brings the powerful nations to their knees. This God, in Jesus Christ, did not hold on to his privilege, but willed to save us. How do you respond to that? The scripture reading this morning tells us how to respond to this most amazing action of God in our world. The apostle writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're told to respond by living out what God has done. God has acted, and we're to live in response to what he has done. This is what Moses was telling Israel that day when he stood on the plains of Moab. In our Old Testament lesson, Moses uses a number of different images to speak of God's intervention for Israel. Metaphors, you might say. God has been, had been a rock to Israel, solid and fixed in his love and righteousness for her. God was a father who fashioned Israel from the nations of the earth, gave her shape and definition like a sculptor who pulls out a piece of clay and begins to work it and carve lines into it and fashion it into a beautiful figure. God was an eagle circling over the earth high in the sky who spied the helpless, fledgling Israel in the howling waste of the wilderness. And he swooped down and carefully grasped the little one in his talons and lifted him up in the air to his nest. In the nest, he enfolded his wings around the little Israel with the strength of his compassionate love. And so he fed him the fruit of the land and the sweet water. As Moses put it, curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs and rams, herds of Bashan and goats with the finest of wheat and the blood of the grape you drank. But how did young Israel respond? He became full of himself and kicked against God. He turned away from the Lord who loved him and chased after other gods who were not even real gods. Israel's faithless response provoked God to jealous anger. Now God has acted for us in Jesus Christ, who, though being God, as Paul says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. We then are to live out this gracious action of God in our life. Having Christ's attitude of self-giving, being united in the same purpose and love of Christ, blameless in the midst of a crooked generation. Now the word of God clarifies our response to the great action of God in Jesus Christ. In our text, it clarifies that. It's not simply an emotional response to what God has done and our being so moved by it that we live faithful lives. If you've ever been to a movie or, or heard a very passionate uh, speech or, or something like that, uh, watched a movie on TV that really affected you, you have this emotional response, and then you go out and you, you, your life is changed for a while, 
for a while, you start living a little differently because of that. But that's not what the apostle's talking about here. It's not simply an emotional response to what God has done. The apostle has not spoken of God's humility and exaltation just to evoke a response of obedience. As if to say, oh, look at Christ upon the cross who then was honored with the name that is above all names. See him who is the Lord, and so you will live, you live blameless lives. Now, there are many ways the atonement of Jesus Christ has been explained. There are many ways that his death on the cross and what he did for us um, have been explained. They're called theories of the atonement. And one is called the moral influence theory of the atonement. And it was developed by a monk named Abelard in the 12th century, and it has stuck around ever since. According to Abelard, Jesus died as the demonstration of God's love, a demonstration which can change the hearts and minds of sinners, according to Abelard. He said it's a demonstration of love that is so great that it can change us and turn us back to God. When we consider the act of God giving his son to die on the cross for us, we are moved to love God and live morally upright lives. Now, hearing the line in our lesson this morning that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if we hear that according to this moral influence explanation of the atonement, we might take it to mean that we work it out because we are affected, we're stirred up by the loving act of God for us. When we hear of Christ's death, For us with faith, we are deeply moved, but that's not really, we are deeply moved, but that's not really what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church, not in our text. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The response of obedience, you see, is not like a photograph of an esteemed family member. Do you have these in your house? We have a few. My wife keeps adjusting them. They're on the buffet, Um, but, but... our parents, grandparents, and such who sit there, and um, while they may not all be esteemed family members, uh, some of them are, and there they are. And so we look at them. Maybe you have them hanging on a wall in your house. A photograph which reminds us of what they did for us, what, what you know, this person who had this big influence on the family. And so when we look at it, maybe we're inspired. Maybe we want to be like grandfather, be like my dad, and all of that. Gazing at the photograph, we want to live like they did. It's not as if God, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not as if God did something long ago, and now he sits back, and he's waiting to see how we'll respond to what he did. It's not like grandfather's photo on the wall, sitting there, stern and stoic, waiting to see what we're going to do. Are we going to live like he did, or are we going to live some other way? That's not what God does. No, what we've heard today in our scripture reading from Philippians is that God has intervened in the world in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became man, and he's still present, graciously working in your life. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Live in response to the action of Christ with fear and trembling, Paul says, with fear and trembling. In other words, with awe. Like the awe that Israel had when God led them with a pillar of fire and cloud, God was working in their midst, and they were struck with awe, um, in so many words. Or like the awe that Mary had when the angel of the Lord came to announce that she would give birth to the Savior. 
She was struck with fear and trembling, like the fear and trembling that Peter, James, and John had when they were with Jesus on the mountain and they saw his glory. Or the fear and trembling of Paul when he was traveling along the road to arrest the Christians and the Lord Jesus appeared to him and fell down on the ground. Fear and trembling or awe is the appropriate attitude to the presence of God. God is present at work in you and the appropriate response is awe, fear and trembling. God has acted in this world in Christ and he's still acting through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. God is present in this world acting. Present in our world, and you know our world, that's full of speeding highways and hypersonic jets and governmental shutdowns and terrorists and marching armies and school cafeterias and and computers and Christian worship and all of that. He's in this world of ours, right in the midst of our lives, working and acting according to his purpose in Christ. Not every action and every movement is God's action. We don't want to make that mistake. It's not just anything that's happening is God's action. God is acting in accord with Christ. And without faith in Christ, we will not know what God is doing. However, with faith in Christ, we will know God's presence and action in our lives, in his church, all around us and in us and all the time. We will be aware, we will know that God is at work. I may not always understand exactly what he's doing in that moment, but he's at work in those things. God is present with us, working by his grace. God is working with us so that we are able to work out our salvation. And because God is present in action in us, we are to work out our salvation with awe. Years ago, I was called to a church in Kansas, and I I like to use, if I ever went to another church after this, unfortunately, you would be used as examples. But anyway, I don't do that here, um, but I do use the church in Kansas. And so I was called there years ago. Uh, 1993, I think it was. And one of the first people I met was the Assembly of God pastor. His name was Wade. He was new at his church, just like I was new at mine. And we struck up a friendship, and we talked about our work as pastors, and sometimes we discussed theology. And one day he asked me about predestination and then said he did not agree with it. He said something like, God does his part in salvation, and we must do ours. And then he quoted the line in our Philippians text this morning, which is why when I studied this text, I thought of Wade. Work out your your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he said to me. And he stopped right there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that's the part we need to do. Now, there are many misconceptions about the Reformed teaching on salvation, and one of them is that we have no responsibility in salvation. And Reformed doctrine does not say that. It holds together the tension that God accomplishes our salvation without negating our responsibility. The Westminster Confession of Faith maintains this tension when it says about God's eternal decrees, God unchangeably ordains whatever comes to pass, yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature. The Philippians text directs the church to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. There are two agents in this, God and us. Now, we might, how might we understand their work, the work of these two agents in salvation? One way is to consider them both as independent, autonomous actors. God does his part, and we have to do ours. God reaches out to us with his grace, And we have to reach out and take it. 
And the problem with this is that phrase in verse 13 of our Philippians text that says, For it is God who works in you. Reformed theology underlines the sovereignty of God in salvation. There are two agents in salvation, but they're not equal. God is infinitely greater than we are. Salvation is the work of his sovereign grace, and therefore Reformed doctrine roots salvation in the sovereign work of God. That's where it's rooted. God is the one who initiates our salvation, not us. And he's the one that completes it for us. He does that by sending his son to save us from our sin, and God also initiates our response to his salvation. Faith, repentance, and a life of obedience to God do not begin with our willful response. It's initiated by God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our ability to work out our salvation with fear and trembling is activated by God's gracious work in us. Reformed teaching leans to the side of God's initiating the work of his grace in us. It does not sit there in the middle trying to say it's neutral. It's got two sides that each have to do what they have to do. No, we lean towards the side of God um, being sovereign and initiating that grace, that work of grace in our salvation. So fear and trembling is because God is at work in us. And we need to stop and hear that this morning. God is at work in us. And we need, we, the right, right response to that when we hear that is fear and trembling, awe that God is at work in us. God has intervened in this world in Jesus Christ and he continues to be at work. He didn't just do something 2,000 years ago and then say, oh, and Jesus rose and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and then they sit and just watch and see what happens. No. He continues to be at work. Jesus finished the work of salvation, but God continues to be at work applying it, as you might say. The action of God for us in Jesus is the most amazing of all extraordinary events in this world. And yet we live in a secular world. We live in a secular world that lives like God is not here and he's not working. That's how a secular world functions. Not that most of us believe such a thing. We don't believe that. But we may act like it. We can easily live our lives this way. Rise up every morning, follow our daily routines, washing and shaving, getting a cup of coffee, grabbing something to eat. Some of us getting our kids ready for the day, going to meet friends at a coffee shop, something like that. Throughout the day, doing our work, stopping by the store to buy groceries. In the evening, coming home, regrouping, eating our supper, sitting down to do homework, relaxing, then going to bed, maybe reading or watching a movie. Engaged in Christian practices, Throughout the week, like praying and hearing the preaching of God's word, coming to the Lord's table, having our hearts and minds uh, recalibrated, turning away from sinful habits, having gospel responses to people who hurt us or provoke us, and doing all of that without fear and trembling. Because we're not really thinking about how God is at work in us, in all of that. Our society at this particular point in time has been called a secular society, a society that takes no account of God. And that doesn't mean that most people deny there's a God. The the surveys still say that there's a strong belief. The majority of the population believes there's some kind of higher power, there's some kind of divine being. But it's a society that lives and eats and works and plays without any fear and trembling. It's not there. 
And here is where uh, this is basically practical atheism. There's no sense of God being present and active in our midst. It's a life where what you see is what you get. It doesn't have the perception that we find in Scripture, that God is behind us and in front of us and knows us inside and out. That's what we said. That's what we responded with in Psalm 139. The perception that we find in that psalm is, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when you rise up. And it's not just this kind of knowledge that, that, um, you know, that knows the, the, the number. He knows it in an intimate, personal way because he's working in us. The holy and gracious God working right here and right now. A life lived in awe that Jesus Christ is daily present and active gives thanks to God for what he's done for us as our creator and our redeemer. It gives thanks for that daily. It also feels the guilt of having done something wrong. It confesses its sin daily. It joins with others who worship God. It praises God every day for his blessing and honor. It gives itself to others with the attitude of Christ's humility. It reads the word of God because it lives under the word of God. It helps the weak and the poor. It gives thanks to God for the food we have to eat. It trusts that God's hand provides for us and it faces death with faith, with the faith that God has overcome it. A life lived in awe of God's grace can't help speaking about it. It's lived with the church working together with the one purpose and one mind of Christ standing together against sin and unbelief in this world, and doing all of that fully aware that God is at work in our midst. And so we do all of that with awe, with fear and trembling. You can expect a practical atheism from the society we live in, but not from Christians. We should not expect that from Christians or from ourselves. Not from you. Live out God's action in Christ in your lives And don't live as practical atheists. Live as the people of God in whom God is present and working with fear and trembling. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in Christ has revealed your glory among the nations, preserve the works of your mercy that we may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name and with awe at your work within us. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets 
and we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 181, We Come, O Christ, to You. is the joyful feast of the people of God. Men and women will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. This is a covenant meal with God. We come surrendering our wills and being responsible and responding to God alone as our Lord and our Savior. No longer is it our task to adjust to the world or to our society. It's very freeing to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then, even though I and all of us struggle with this, it's not, it doesn't, we don't have to try to adjust ourselves to the society we live in all the time. We are to be obedient to God's will, and that transcends every other. 
And our pledge as we come to this table is to live as faithful members of God's community of grace and peace. To live in terms of God's grace and peace and love here in the church. We join hands with our fellow Christians in a common loyalty to God. And all of this is laid upon us as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Here in this covenant meal, we belong to Christ, and so we are brought into communion with God and with each other. According to the Gospel of Luke, when our risen Lord is at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give them thanks and praise. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who though he was equal with you, as we hear in that great hymn in Philippians, became a man and lived among us as the servant of your salvation. He came to lead us in the way of true life and to suffer and die in order to free us from sin, to bear the cost of our sin, and to be raised into new life for us. He was obedient even to die on the cross so that we might pass from death to life, and not just any life or generic life, or life again in this world, but life with you. He is the firstborn of that new creation. He is the beginning of that new creation that you create where all of heaven and all of earth praises you in your great and glorious name. So we join in that song that we hear in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. We pray now that you would consecrate this bread and cup by your spirit so that we may be fed by our Lord Jesus Christ as we remember his death in faith. May our eating and drinking strengthen and refresh our communion with him. We thank you that even as there is one bread and one cup, so the church is one, and together with all your saints, we've been joined with Christ. We praise you and glorify you forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all good things come, who has blessed us in the Spirit, and to whom is all the honor, along with you, Almighty Father, now and forever, ever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we give you eternal praise and thanks that through your holy gospel and the sacrament you began offered and presented to us, your most precious treasure, the true bread of heaven and food of eternal life, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we heartily ask you to grant that we may receive him and partake of him in true faith now and forever. And be so nourished by his flesh and blood that we may be set free from all evil and increase daily in all goodness to your glory. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 465, The Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord.
himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated, and good morning to you all. The, um, if you'll forgive a, uh, a, an extremely brief history lesson, or I'll at least try to, but uh, I, I, it's always hard when you measure these seasons by uh, Home Depot and uh, what decor they have out. So we had Halloween back in July, and we're already well into Christmas, but let us not overlook Thanksgiving. Um, and, uh, you know, as we live in a, uh, we live in a very, a, a world that has um, a lot of uh, negatives going on, uh, international wars and, you know, sort of the rise of secularization and things like that. Um, a brief, uh, just a couple notes on American Thanksgiving uh, is that uh, it began, of course, um, well, we can, there's a lot of baggage that goes with when it began, but at least initially, um, they were celebrating in the midst of a lot of their friends having died in the last few years, and a lot of real struggle and starvation and hard, hardship and privation, um, and yet it was at that time that they said, we need to have a Thanksgiving, um, and even it's officially being made a holiday, it's kind of been intermittent for a while, but um, the official, uh, like when it started kind of semi-permanently in the United States, uh, was in 1860 in the midst of the bloodiest year of the bloodiest war of American history, uh, Abraham Lincoln said, we should do this. It's, it's time. Um, so uh, in the midst of the war, uh, the wars in the world and the, the other bad things, let us not uh, skip straight to Christmas, but let us uh, spend time um, uh, being thankful, being thankful because uh, Christ has triumphed um, and, uh, and, and he will triumph, and we know how this story ends. Uh, and on that note, I direct your attention to the weekly inserts uh, for the thank offering. Um, so the last, uh, this week, and uh, I think last week and maybe next as well, um, just call your attention to some of the some of the victories, some of the wins, some of the things for which we can be thankful um, that uh, Christ's word is going forth in the world and people are hearing it. Um, and even when there are setbacks, like we prayed about in Haiti and in other places, um, you know, Christ wins. Christ has won, and uh, and His will will triumph. Um, and so I direct your attention to those, and and please uh, just encourage you to read those, um, and also to consider uh, in gratitude and thankfulness um, donating to the thank offering. Uh, every year, the denomination takes up a uh, an offering um, at this time of year, and I'll send an email out uh, concerning that in. Um, hopefully today, but sometime soon. But if you would like to contribute to that, uh, feel free to put it in the regular offering and just label it in the memo line that it is for the thank offering. And uh, the trustees will be sure to send that on. And uh, we can join with our brothers and sisters uh, around the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and 
um, just being expressing our gratitude for all the good that, that uh, God has done and will continue to do. Um, I believe that is all I have as far as special announcements, but if anybody else would like the floor. Mrs. Wilson. All right, so we will, for those of you uh, perhaps watching with us online, we, we look forward to meeting uh, Jace the Sunday after Thanksgiving, is that what you said? The Sunday after Thanksgiving, there will be an informal brunchish, lunchish baby shower. Details to come as needed from Mrs. Wilson. Mrs. Roberts? Thursday morning prayer will be at Deneen's place, as it's sometimes been put from this lectern. Um, so, uh, anyone else? Fantastic. Well, the smells have been wafting in for a while, so uh, we'll join together and have, uh, have some food together in just a little bit.